0: Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, conversations to engage and inspire missional people.
1: to the Venture Twelve Whoa. Podcast. <laughs> you went for that, didn't you? You definitely prepared that. You definitely prepared you that wall. Yeah, I mean I've I've heard you practicing in your office how you're gonna do That's that's not true, it's like you've been, been shouting no. that you've been saying that Welcome no, for I the haven't. last hour in your office. So I, I knew what was coming. I I haven't, folks.
0: <laughs> I've not but uh we have done it three times. In the last few minutes, yeah. the, the welcome. That's my accurate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just a window into the reality of podcasting, I guess. Uh, yeah. Some of you folks won't be familiar with that. But.
1: <laughs> Expert <podcast>. guess, <laughs> <laughs> From this high production podcast. Yeah. 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 But we're in season three. Kicked off with a bang with uh, Jesse Kruczak mm-hmm. yeah. in uh, episode one, which myself and Ashley hosted together. And now I'm back again. And this time with you, Mark. Yeah.
0: Excited to be back, it's the first one I, I've been on since before, well probably July, no
1: June. So the epilogue was the last one you were on, wasn't it? The epilogue, yeah. yeah.
0: I actually had some feedback around the epilogue. Did you? Yeah, someone said that was a really special episode. Yeah. And they particularly enjoyed the way it ended.
1: Oh, how uh, did it end? Well, it was we, a prayer, we, wasn't we, it? We
0: prayed for people, Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh. Yeah. And that was, we, we don't usually pray for people. No, well, no we, we don't do that, do we? No. no, we do. Hear me right, folks. We, we do pray for people, but not, not, not when we're doing the podcast. Not,
1: not you, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you're saying?
0: Well, I've got a prayer list of all the venturers Have you? that I go through. It must be long. Yeah, really long, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway. yeah the epilogue. I enjoyed that episode as well, actually. Yes. That was the look back at the season, wasn't it? And we put in some clips. Yeah. Tell you what, that was a nightmare to edit, that one, because I put our little Venture 12 music in between each yeah. clip. It took a long time. Yeah. I hope, I hope, was there any feedback on that?
0: On the uh, production side?
1: Editing and production?
0: Um, no, there wasn't no. any feedback. Right. Unfortunately, sorry about that. Don't know how to feel about that. Uh, but it, you did a good job, because well, I appreciate it. It's com- it complicated doing this, and actually you know this is a sh- this ship's just getting bigger and bigger uh, ooh, that's right yeah we're, and, and last episode we advertised didn't we for someone to help us out with um, yeah, right. social media because mm. uh, none of us are really good at it and we want it to be a way to connect with folks but also mm. a way that we can uh, uh, help connect people to other things that we do like our potential book clubs and other events that we do so, yeah. so we're looking for someone if that's you please please do reach out
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: because uh, we're, we're looking to build out the team a bit
1: yeah please yeah. do mark at venture12.se if you are uh, passionate about social media and uh, somewhat enjoy this podcast yeah uh, what should we talk about
0: well last we, we had a new section didn't we about like, well not a new section but just Reflecting on current events.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Lifting up what's going on in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And uh,
0: when I was thinking about this one, uh, uh, yesterday I found out that it's 12 years since King Richard III was found. <coughs> his bones, sorry. He's, he's, yeah. His, <laughs> his, yeah, I was going to say. He died in 1483, I think. Okay. And... Um, and no one knew where he was buried. Well, there were some theories about where he was buried. <laughs> there was actually, you know, there were some. Some. There were some this is true. I'm not like it's 12 no, years. No, no, no. I'm just you can Google it. No, YouTube it if you want. I don't
1: think anyone is questioning whether it's true. I'm just questioning whether the face was questioning it. <laughs> I'm questioning whether a current world event is it the 12 year anniversary since King Richard bones were found.
0: This is big. <laughs> i tell you why. I'll tell you for why It's big. because... It, it <laughs> now, it, no, no one knew where he was buried, which is really unusual for mm-hmm. a king, right? Yeah. There's some theories that actually started really early, that he was thrown off a bridge because he was a bad king. People didn't like him. Right. Um, uh, he, 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 he died in battle. Is and King uh,
1: Richard the III the king during the time of Robin Hood, just so I'm uh, um, in the right <clears throat> era? I don't, I don't know. That's right. a re- That's irrelevant. <laughs> Just trying to place him.
0: But this is an incredible story. So there was this lady who had a theory that um, he was buried in a, uh, on the grounds of a friary that was built over Friar That's irrelevant. That's, a, <laughs> that's Robin Hood again. I'm just trying to make this Robin Hood thing. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with no, Robin Hood, right, Chris. No, carry on, yeah. Uh, and this, uh, I mean, I don't know if Robin Hood is a true story. I know it's exaggerated, but this mm-hmm. is a true story, yeah. right? So
1: yeah.
0: let's stay with it. So. <laughs> This, this lady I don't, she, she was an archaeologist <laughs> <laughs> sorry I'm sorry. she's an archaeologist <laughs> yeah. and she had a theory that he, he was buried in this friary so together with the University of Leicester they uh, got permission to dig up a car park because the friary was underneath a car park so they dug up a car park and they didn't expect to find him directly because there'd be lots of dead, people buried around it. But the first body they found was actually King Richard III.
1: How did they know?
0: <clears throat> because he, he, uh, he had a, a, an ar- a hump in his back. And mm-hmm. there's a theory that he was the, uh, the king with a hump in his back. All oh, right. So when you see the bones, you can watch on YouTube, he's got this arch <laughs> in, his, in his back. And there's no way that could happen just through <laughs> decay. It's an actual physical problem that he had. And yes. they did some DNA tests. Uh, with and they found relatives, like, not relatives, like his bloodline. Yeah. Uh, and they did the DNA tests, and they the yeah, sentence, and they proved that it was actually, All right. actually him. So they found his body in a car park. Wow. A king. And then there was this big discussion: where well, are we gonna? Are we gonna have a funeral for him? Are we gonna have a state yeah. funeral for him? What happened was he, he he died in battle, and then he was like just shamed and beaten and stuff like that. Uh, so
1: his body, he, they could see lots of wounds. He was and, beaten so. after he died in battle. Yeah. Like, like they really battered him yeah. after
0: he died. After he died, yeah. It this yeah. It. Anyway, it's twelve years since they found King King Richard.
1: There, there we go, guys. Yeah. The big cultural event of the moment—it's <laughs> the twelve-year anniversary <laughs> of the discovery of King Richard's bones. I
0: thought that was interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, interesting. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'm still not sure where it lands on the scale of worldwide news, but um, yeah. well, just in your last considering podcast, last time it was the Queen's yeah, was death. The queen. yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: that was partly why I was bringing okay. It up. All right then.
1: Well, um, after what seems an eternity since we mentioned we've just started season three, uh, where are we heading today? Well, we've got
0: Brad Briscoe on the on the podcast. Yeah, and he is. Uh, well, he he works for um, this, I think it's the Send Institute, but he's yeah. I mean he's, he's been a church planter. He's been an entrepreneur setting up restaurants, but he's also uh, been in uh, those kind of spaces of equipping and releasing people uh, to plant new expressions of the church. But with a particular heart and focus on co-vocational and bi-vocational ministry, mm-hmm. um, and that's quite interesting. It's not something we've thought a lot about, so that's one of the reasons why we've got him on. But also because he is he's very, he's very good at explaining how uh, important the apex giftings and typology are in the emergence of new expressions and he mm. connects it up to both the co-vocational and bi-vocational as an essential yeah. uh, for those things so
1: yeah. yeah it's great I really enjoyed it and I'm sure you will too <coughs> stick around afterwards where we'll post some questions and give some of our thoughts enjoy
0: well Brad Briscoe, welcome to the Venture 12 podcast.
2: Hey, thanks, Mark. Great to be with you today.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we're really excited that you're on the show because uh, we love meeting new people. We also love to uh, explore some of the, what we feel anyway, are the most important uh, conversations that people on the frontiers of mission should be having. And uh, so really excited for the conversation ahead. Before we go into uh, the topic, Can you just introduce yourself, Um, tell us what your background is, what you do, what you love, uh, and what your life looks like?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I grew up in the Midwest of the United States in a a little town called Wichita. Um, My brother and I were in the restaurant business there for 13 years together. I didn't become a believer until I was almost 30 years old. And afterwards, uh, my brother and I, we sold our business. I went to seminary. I eventually uh, planted a church. And uh, and then in the midst of church planting, I went to work for uh, a group, a large church planting network called the North American Mission Board. And the church planting arm of that group is called the SEND Network. So I've actually worked for the SEND Network now for probably going on 22 years where I just do all lots of different things. I mean, for most of that time, I was what was called the church planting catalyst, which meant I helped to recruit and train and resource and coach church planters. And then over the last four or five years, um, I've really focused on what we call bivocational or co-vocational church planting. Uh, Then about three years ago, we moved to the Gulf side of Florida. Uh, Just love warmer weather. I love the water and We, uh, My wife and I decided that if we were going to make one more move somewhere in the States, uh, this is where it would be. So about three years ago, we moved here and uh, we just absolutely love it here. So that's a little bit. I've been married for uh, 28 years. I have a 27-year-old son, a 22-year-old son, and a 13-year-old daughter. So uh, the two youngest are are with us here in Florida. And then my oldest son still lives in Kansas City.
0: Great. And uh, what do you love? What'd you love getting oh, I, involved
2: in? Yeah, just love uh being outdoors. We absolutely love our neighborhood. We love our neighbors. We really when we moved here, one of the kind of boxes we wanted to check is we wanted to live somewhere that was very walkable and uh and where we live is. So we're we're outside a lot engaging with, you know, businesses and uh, just our neighborhood and so I, I really love just engaging uh, the context where, where we moved here three years ago. That's great but you just told me
0: as well I mean, we should say uh, maybe just a bit of context You're you're indoors at the moment and you're, you yeah there's a reason for that not least because you're doing a podcast but there's also a hurricane potentially on its way. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's definitely on its way. Uh, it's still a couple of days out, but we're uh, yeah. Well, I've never watched the Weather Channel so much in my life. So <laughs> we're trying to stay on top of it. They, we don't know for sure where it's going to make landfall, but but several of the models uh, show it coming exactly where where we live. So I hope we don't have to evacuate, but we'll yeah. we'll keep a close eye on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: We don't have hurricanes in this part of the world, but. Um... <laughs> Thank goodness. But yeah, we we're thinking about you. Yeah, I hope it goes in a different direction. But yeah, yeah. well, listen, um, straight off the bat, then, here's a the big question. Um, before we get into, we're going to be talking about APEST and the significance that the APEST typology, um, ideas, vocations, callings have when it comes to um, perhaps the emergence of new missional initiatives, church planting and um, yeah, the yeah pioneering new things for the kingdom, um, but I'd, off the straight off the bat, I'd love to ask you this question. And this is maybe diving straight into the deep end. Uh, what do you think is holding us back from planting missional and contextualized expressions in the body of Christ? Uh, and I just say as well, because like, a lot of us have been talking about this for a long, long time. But what, what's what's holding us back?
2: from planting truly contextualized uh, and missional expressions? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's, as you just alluded to, Mark, it's an enormous question. I mean, there's a a lot of different facets, I think. But I think ultimately it's about some deeply held assumptions that we have about church and mission, discipleship, really even evangelism. You might even say even the gospel. I just think we have some deeply held assumptions that have been developed over many, many, many years that we, that, that just aren't conducive towards uh, missional church planting, contextualized expressions of, you know, smaller expressions of church, all of that. And really, if we're to summarize all of that, um, for me, it really goes back to two things. I would say it's really a combination of two things. One, I think it's the kind of the muscle memory of Christendom thinking that goes all the way back to you know, 300 AD, 312, 313 AD, and the whole story of Constantine and Theodosius making Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. I think it's a combination of that where we professionalized ministry. And there's so many things we could talk about, uh, you know, that came out of a, a Christendom mindset. Um, but the clergy the divide, how we professionalize ministry, how you know, the it was the, the church really was all about the shepherd teacher. It was, you know, it was informed by, designed by, led by the shepherd teacher, kind of the theologian. So it's a combination of all the kind of negative things that came out of Christendom, but it's also a combination with, I would say, the church growth movement okay. over the last 30 or 40 years, or really 40 or 50 years where not only did we have this clergy laity, you know, professionalization of the leadership, but then now we moved to the church becoming very Sunday centric. And the language that many people use is, you know, out of the church growth movement, the church really became a vendor of religious goods and services. So we try to do church programs and activities in such a way that we try to attract people to our programs. And I say all the time, look, Everything about the church growth movement wasn't negative or bad. There were some really good things that came out of the church growth movement. But I think in a roundabout way, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot because uh, we kind of created this consumeristic monster mm-hmm. that we just haven't gotten past. So so I think today, part of the reason it's so difficult to really engage in mission in these, as you said, the, these kind of missional contextualized expressions is these two forces are so strong this Mm. christendom mindset and then everything that we learned you know over almost 50 years of the church growth movement it just makes it really really difficult to the the kind of default thinking towards those two things are so strong it's really hard to push people out into mission the way that you know we, we would argue the church was meant to be
0: yeah yeah i mean that's enormous stuff um and of course, you know, from my perspective, I'm uh, part of, work for the Salvation Army, uh, part of a big institution. So, you know, a lot a lot of good uh, stuff that we've inherited, but also, you know, just some of the uh, shadow side of institutions really comes into play. And uh, as you say, a lot of them built on the teacher shepherd model. I want to ask you a question about, um, because we're going to be looking at APES. Uh, how does any journey in APES begin to unlock and help us not just diagnose uh but begin to unlock the a potential journey back to pushing us to the margins or back to pushing us to the to the missional edge
2: or the cultural edge yeah well there's several things there i think first you know to go back and think about you know I, I mentioned earlier that uh we've planted a church when i say we my wife and i um Gosh, now it's been almost 30 years. It was, well, it's probably, yeah, it was probably 27 years ago, I think. And I tell you, when I planted the church, there was really only, in the States at least, there was only one real model or approach to church planting. And it was the Sunday-centric, launch large, you know, uh, start a Sunday morning worship service kind of approach. That was the only thing I ever heard. That was the only thing that, that, you know, the only training that I ever went to. So that's what we did. We planted a church like that. But I tell you what was interesting um, is I never felt like I fit. I mean, I, I felt like I fit as a church planter because, as I mentioned, my brother and I were in the restaurant business together and I was very entrepreneurial. I mean, we started not only several different restaurants, but there were other things that we tried. Some worked, some didn't work. But I always loved starting things. And I still remember when we planted this church, I recognized I wasn't a very good pastor and people that, you know, came to our church plant, if they had any kind of Christian church background, they were looking for a pastor. And I remember I just read everything about how to become a better pastor, how to become a better shepherd, how to be a a better, you know, leader in the church. And I just felt like I was always failing. I just, I just felt like I I just didn't fit. It's like, man, I, I I love this idea of starting something and planting a church, but I never felt like I, I was a very good pastor. Hmm. Well, it wasn't until I learned about APEST. The first time I was introduced to looking at the Ephesians 4 passage differently, because I always looked at that as a a leadership text, or sure. sometimes I'll actually call it a clergy text that that, oh, these are gifts given to the church leadership so we could equip the saints for the work of ministry. I never saw it as a body text. But the first time I did, I realized, well, wait a minute. I don't have to be the shepherd. God didn't wire me that way. Instead, he gifted me to be very apostolic, to be a pioneer, to start things, to be entrepreneurial. So it was kind of a lifesaver for me personally when I was first introduced to APASP. Uh, because I realized this is where I fit. Mm. But then the other thing that it did is it gave me a framework for understanding how other people could be involved in mission and ministry. Because I, at the same time, when I I was struggling with how I fit as a church leader, I also struggled with how do I get other people engaged in ministry? Because back then I remember thinking, well, if you're really going to get engaged in ministry, you really either need to be a shepherd or a teacher. I mean, you could be a teacher and and teach Sunday school or teach a small group or maybe even preach on, on Sunday sometimes, or you need to be able to like shepherd the flock that and that, you know, that only involved a very small group of people that mm-hmm. those that, that were a gifted teacher or a gift, gifted shepherd. So not only did APEST kind of save me as related to my place in ministry, but then it also gave me a framework for really kind of recruiting and equipping other people to engage in the ministry of the church. That wasn't just organized around the shepherd teacher gifts. Mm.
0: That's great. I wonder if I can just uh, pursue that a little bit more because um, there's a, there's a lot of people uh, who the APES conversation certainly been gaining traction over the last, I don't know, 15, I I don't know, 20 years. And um, there's been certainly in their circles and the tradition that I'm part of, there, there's a there's very little pushback around the idea, around the concept, around the framework. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, for me as well, my journey was also one of actually, this is saving my ministry. You know, just beginning to understand who I was and who I wasn't, and what muscles I've been practicing, uh, and what what I've been, you know, perhaps you know, not not deliberately, but I've not not been working. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, just a great diagnostic, a great, um, sense of understanding why I was feeling what I was feeling in ministry. Could you, uh, you touched on it. What did it actually look like? Or was there any moments where your experience of perhaps team or, um, collaboration in a shared flat ministry rather than perhaps a solo hero ministry when APES really came alive for you? And it was
2: not just concept framework, but it was actually story, um, Well, yeah, it was recognizing that I needed to, I needed to have other people on my team and I needed to put myself in a position to listen to those voices because as a very apostolic, I still remember 20, again, it's been over, over 25 years ago. I still remember becoming frustrated with people that didn't want to just like continue to pursue starting things and, and kind of pushing the apostolic envelope. I remember just thinking like, what's wrong with you? Why, you know, why don't Why don't you want to start new things and, and, and like move out into new areas? So again, being introduced to Apest, I realized, well, wait a minute, because I don't have a shepherd bone in my body. I, I need to find someone that has the gift of the shepherding gifts, uh, be a part of the team. And then I need to put myself in a position to listen to them. Um, and then at the same time though, I also, uh, you know, needed to make sure as it relates to those other gifts as well. That not only did we have those other gifts on our team, but that we have to listen to each other. Because, you know, from the passage, it's like if, you know, very clearly Paul says that if all five of those gifts are not being exercised, the church will not reach maturity. And in fact, it says the church will not experience the fullness of Christ. Well, I think it's really easy to argue that the church, uh, certainly in North America, and I think it's true around the world, it's not mature in part because it's only being led and informed by the shepherd teacher gifts. We're only operating on two of those gifts. So yeah, practically speaking, I just remember having kind of an aha moment that I needed to make sure that all of, there was all of those voices from all five of those gifts were not only on the team, but that we needed to create time and space to actually listen, listen really, really well to each other. If, if we wanted the church to experience maturity
0: Mm. We'll come back to that, particularly around like church planting. But can I, can I ask you um, at this juncture, just how do you love to define APEST? How do you love to talk about it? What definitions do you use that really you found just opening people's mind uh, and perhaps like waking them up to the potential?
2: Well, yeah, there's several things there. I would say first, um, and I've already alluded to this. I I think the first step for most people, I know this isn't definition, but I think the first thing for most people uh, is we have to help them see that this isn't a leadership text. Because again, I just think, I'll just say, look, historically, this is the way I was taught. These were gifts given to the leader to equip the saints. But then I like to say, it's not a leadership text. It's a body text. And And once we recognize it's a body text, it doesn't minimize any of those gifts. In fact, it actually elevates them because I'll say, um, look, these are gifts given to everyone. So we, all of us can equip each other for the work of ministry. So I think that's the first really big rock is to help people recognize this is a body gift. These are body gifts, not a leadership gift. The second thing I would say um, is we need to make sure that they understand uh, that all of these gifts, we are not minimizing the the, the shepherd teacher at all, Because sometimes when we talk about APEs, if we're just pushing the APE, it's kind of like, oh, man, you're minimizing preaching or you're minimizing what. And I'll say, no, 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 we're not minimizing these two gifts. We're trying to elevate the other three, because the reality is because the church has been structured and formed around those two, we've marginalized or actually those three have left the church to go start other things outside the body of Christ. So I, so that's the other thing is to say, no, we're not minimizing We're we want to elevate because we have to have all five. One's not more important than the other. All five working in in conjunction and collaboration with each other. And then the third thing is what I've already alluded to is just to, to help people recognize that uh, the church will not reach maturity if all five of these gifts aren't being used uh, and, and aren't being exercised. And then as far as definition, yeah, you know, I kind of have like a, a short you know, couple of words for each of them. And then, you know, all the way to like a full paragraph, there's a little white paper that I wrote a while back that's, I don't know, it's probably seven or eight, nine pages. I can't remember now. That's just a basic introduction to A-Pest. Um, Because when people, if they're new to it, sometimes I struggle with like, where to have them start. You know, a lot of times I'll say, well, if you don't know anything about APEST, uh, get a copy of Alan Hirsch's forgotten ways. Chapter eight is there's one chapter just on a a part of the broader MDNA conversation. So I'll say, that's a good place to start. Uh, I'll say, you know, if you want to really geek out and dig in then five Q Alan's book. Um, but, but I, for most people, I don't think that's the best place to start Uh, 5Q, because it's just, it it can be a little heavy. I do think chapter eight or forgotten ways or the book that Alan and Tim Ketchum wrote called The Permanent Revolution. If somebody's really interested in just the apostolic gifting, that is the single best resource on the A. Then also Neil Cole wrote a book called Primal Fire. That's a good introduction. A a buddy of mine named Peyton Jones wrote a book called Church Zero. That's a very good introduction to Apest. Uh, GR Woodward wrote a book called, uh, cultivating a missional culture or creating a missional culture. Also really good introduction to APES. but for people that I think any of those might be too much, that's the reason I put together this really, uh, just short eight page white paper is to say, look, if you don't know anything about APES, let me send you this PDF and it'll just give you some basic, um, definitions of each of the, of the words, um, but, you know, I'll say, you know, the apostolic, that's the that's the pioneering is a word I'll use a lot of times around apostolic. It's a person that likes to start things. As far as the prophet, I'll say it's the it's the person who questions things and they want reform. You know, when it comes to the prophet, kind of my favorite and it was probably Alan that I heard say this. And I remember the first time I heard him say this it was really helpful for me that the prophet, there's both a vertical and a horizontal dimension. So there's a vertical dimension because they're listening to the Lord and they're asking, hey, church, why aren't we doing this? Like they see a gap between what is and what should be vertically between what God says and what the church is actually doing. But then there's this horizontal dimension as well, where they see what is and what the gap between what is and what should be in regards to the church's engagement with the culture. So like if there's issues of injustice, it's like, look, we ought to be engaged in this and we're not like, why? So the prophet is someone that brings up those questions. The evangelist, my favorite word for that is recruiter. It's somebody that likes, you know, they're they're, they're the recruiter to a cause. So they're kind of infectious. They, you know, they like to woo people to, to a particular cause. The shepherd's the one that we probably understand the best. It's, you know, that's the one that provides and protects. Uh, you know, they, they like to uh, care for the community. And then the teacher really is the one that likes to understand and explains. Uh, they they like to synthesize lots of information out there and try to put it in a way to where other people can easily access and understand uh, what they're teaching. So, again, I, you know, I just have one or two words or sentences for each of them. But then in this white paper, I try to provide a little more, you know, like a whole paragraph to kind of explain or describe what that particular gift would look like. So I don't I, I don't know if that's helpful. That's great.
0: You send us the white paper
2: oh yeah it definitely will i mean it's just a simple little pdf that uh, just gives a again i just wanted something that was a super simple accessible introduction and then i encourage people look if this prompts some additional thoughts in your head then there's better material out there that other people have written that definitely people ought to access
0: okay we could change gears a little bit um if what if we don't take this journey and I just we'll come to church planting and I promise promise you that but just uh, just a question that came to me just now if we don't take this journey on um, a level of discipleship mission organization uh, an apex journey uh, a reconfiguration
2: journey what's at stake uh <laughs> that's a loaded question <laughs> and you know what? well it's... everything because it just I tell you it's one of the things I love reading and paying attention to are cultural shifts and just where the church is. And just this week, I read two new research studies, And I'm telling you every single indicator that we might use to judge church health and church growth, everything is trending in the wrong direction. I mean, it doesn't matter how, you know, if it's attendance or or baptism or membership or biblical literacy or generosity it just influence on our context or culture, the numbers for, for the church around, well, certainly in North America. Now there's some context, I think outside North America that the church has actually seen some gains, but it's not here. They're all trending in the wrong direction. Uh, you know, the number of people that call themselves Christian is going down. The number of people that are re- religiously unaffiliated, unaffiliated that we call the nuns, and, and frankly, I think the numbers that these, re- these studies are showing, I think are actually exaggerated in a positive way. What I mean by that is I think in all, and I just rarely find anyone that talks about this, but I think there's a significant, what I would call a halo effect in these okay. research studies when people ask how often they go to church or if they go to church, I think people don't <laughs> tell the truth, you know, it's like. Well, I want to be seen as a churchgoer. So I'm going to say, even though I haven't been for six months, I'm going to say I go once a month, you know, or twice a month. So what's at stake? I just think the continual decline, if everything we do in the church is organized around, informed by, and led by the shepherd teachers, uh, and there there is no apostolic pioneering, the starting of new expressions of church. Uh, it's clear where we'll be. You know, it's just those numbers will continue to decline uh, every single year.
0: I think it's Alan who says the system is perfectly designed to get the results that we, we're seeing.
2: Yeah, um, 100%. That's right. Yeah, gosh. that's a great statement.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just to sit with that is, uh, it sends vibrations around me. We need to do something. So let, let's talk about. Uh, I mean, we need to plant new churches. We need to explore new missional frontiers. Um, we need creativity, reimagination. Um, can you tell us a bit about your work with? Is it Send or?
2: Yeah, the Send Network. Send uh-huh.
0: Network. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Well, so uh, the majority of of my work in the so far in the past has really been about around. Bivocational, and we use the language of co-vocational church planting i try to incorporate as much APEs as possible right. but i still even within the sin network i think the the conversations around APEs, really the conversations around rethinking church planting that isn't a sunday morning sunday centric kind of launch large approach is at this point is still kind of a grassroots movement um but yeah i, I try to incorporate well let me say it like this mark i think instead of starting with a pest and instead of starting with uh fresh expressions of, or, you know, smaller expressions, whatever, different kinds of church planting, I really start with bivocational and co-vocational okay. because in, at least in my tribe or denomination, people are open to that conversation. And I, so I can kind of use bivocational and co-vocational church planting, uh, as a as a way to kind of sneak the APES conversation <laughs> and, and rethinking church planting kind of in the side door. That's sneaky. Uh, yeah. So I just find that's a, instead of starting with, hey, we need to start missional communities or micro churches, or we need to incorporate APEST. I have just found if I start with co-vocational language and approaches uh, then they begin to recognize that the way we do that is we have to think differently about church planting and it, and the incorporation of, of APES thinking.
0: Brad, can you tell us what, why does that work then? What, as a kind of doorway into the conversation, and, and I mean, I'm not sure every tradition is the same. This, right. In my tradition, we're starting to talk more about co-vocational, bivocational, touching the surface. Um, but why, what, why does it seem to be like a gateway into the, a wider conversation?
2: Well, let me back up just a little bit okay. I, and then tell me if I don't answer your question. So, I well, first, I would say um, when I first moved into this role five years ago or so, that we it was a brand new role that we created. We just called director of bivocational church planning. I knew right off that one of the things I needed to do was change what I would call the biased narrative around bivocational church planting. And what I mean by that is most people, when they think of bivocational or they even hear the language of bivocational, Uh, they often have a negative perspective it's like oh that's a part-time pastor or it's somebody that you know has divided time or maybe they're not really good at growing a church so they have to work another job or they think the church must be small because they can't they don't have enough money to support the pastor full-time so i just think there's this biased kind of negative narrative around bivocational. vocational so i knew I wanted to try to begin to change that narrative because I'm telling you, I would argue that bivocational church planting is the single best missiological strategy and financial strategy for church planting. Well, the way you change that, and this is a bigger conversation, we can have some other time, but I think it just in very, in a general uh, summarizing fashion, I would say the way to change the narrative is three things. First, is we have to highlight the benefits of being bivocational. And again, I think there are enormous missiological benefits and enormous financial benefits. So one of the ways we change it is we need to talk about all those benefits. The second thing is I think we need to champion the stories of bivocational planters. So we need to tell stories. I mean, because there's hundreds of thousands of, of church leaders, probably somewhere between 60 and 70% of pastors are bivocational. So we need to tell their stories instead of always telling the stories of the fully funded, you know, church planter right. or pastor. But then the third thing I felt like is we needed to expand the language. So think about so that's when we so a few years ago we started playing around with this language of co-vocational. So here's what I mean by that. So if here when you hear the word bivocational, listen to that bivocational. Um, if you if you ever heard the word bifurcate. To bifurcate means to take one thing and divide it into two parts. Well, I think that's what we do sometimes with the language of bivocational. It actually gets in the way of what we want to see accomplished. So in other words, a pastor, they'll they'll bifurcate or compartmentalize their work and their ministry. So they'll say, like, I do my work over here, so I can do ministry over here. Well, I don't think that that not only is that not helpful, I don't think it's biblical. So I felt like we needed a language to expand that. So Think of the word co-vocational. So co, C-O, comes from the Latin prefix com, C-O-M, which means to have in common. So think of words like co-laborer or co-author or co-pilot. It's about aligning two things together instead of compartmentalizing. So all that to say, I still use the language of both vivo and covo, but here's the little nuance for me. And then I think this will speak to your question. Bivo is, is somebody that has a part-time job in the marketplace while they're planting a church, but their goal or their aspiration is the church eventually grows large enough that they can leave their part-time job and focus full-time on the church. Well, I would say two thumbs up to that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the Apostle Paul you know, sort of thing. The tent makers, the language we use sometimes from Acts 18. And I don't think that there's not, nothing wrong with that. But co-vocational is a co-vocational church planter is someone that has a primary calling in the marketplace that they never intend to leave. So in other words, they know God has called and wired them to be a school teacher or a mechanic or an engineer or a web designer or an architect, but they feel like God's calling them to start something. So I want to help them rethink church planting in regards to how can they work 30 or 40 or 50 hours a week in the marketplace and plan a church at the same time. Well, I, I am convinced there are tens of thousands of people sitting in our churches on Sunday morning that they didn't know that was an option. They didn't know that they could be a school teacher and plan a church. Well, when we when you have those conversations around bivo Kovo, most people go, oh, I get that. Yeah, I see the difference. And I like that. I like the idea that I could be a school teacher and I might be able to start something. But, but here's where then we can start thinking differently. Here's how we can kind of sneak in the back door is that if they are working 40 or 50 hours a week in the marketplace, they know they can't plant a church the way we've always planted churches. They know they can't do a launch large Sunday centric, you know, they can't spend 30 or 40 hours a week or, you know, on the on the Sunday morning worship service So they can't spend 20 hours a week working on a sermon. So we need to give them a new imagination for church planting. So. And then what happens is in the midst of that, I strongly emphasize you have if you're Bivocovo, you have to plant with a team. Mm-hmm. And, and then that opens up a whole brand new conversation around team planting. Because one of the things I say all the time is I think, you know, almost every church planter, they would love to plant with a team. But most church planters, when they hear the word team, they think of ministry categories. <sighs> So in other words, they think, oh, I need a worship leader. I need a children's person. I need a youth person. But I'll say, look, you you might still have some ministry categories, but I'll say start with the APES team. So then if, again, if they're Bivo, Covo, there is just no other option. Because if you're working 30 or 40 hours in the marketplace, you can't do it all. You shouldn't anyway. But it's like it just instantly opens up. It's like, okay, no, you're right. I have to have a team. I can't do this on my own. And then that opens up the opportunity to talk about an APES team and just the importance of of structuring a team around gifts and not just around ministry categories so man there's a whole lot more that could be said there but I don't know market that
0: oh that's so good what I'm thinking
2: is uh can you promise to do another podcast with us so we can explore it <laughs> a bit well, more deeper I, yeah and I'd love to dig into really I, I do think uh It's just, I I have found this conversation around the benefits of being bivocational or co-vocational are enormous. People just like, yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought of that, that I just, and once you really talk about the benefits, most people, even if they're fully funded, they start to see it, you know, and I tell pastors all the time, even a pastor that has their full time in their church, I'll encourage them to go get a part-time job. I'll just say, look, there's so many benefits of you being in the marketplace, Go get a job just one day a week. Even if you don't need the money, <laughs> you you ought to be working in the marketplace because otherwise you're just disconnected. And 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 here I say all the time, it gives you enormous street cred or respectability both inside the church and outside the church if you're working out, you know, in the marketplace. So that's why I hope that helps. I just think for at least where I'm at, it, getting to completely rethinking church planting incorporating a different expressions of church it just it, if i start in most cases if i start with a bivo Kovo conversation then it starts to kind of open up the door to those other things and then they just i don't know maybe they people see the importance or the relevance of it where for some people it's just hard for them to start there it's like well why would i start a micro church instead of a sunday morning worship service so hmm. um that so it, it seems like for the last couple of years that's been helpful.
0: Mm, that's really good. I really would love to explore this further. And I mean, even if it just uh, reflecting on what it might look like in the European context, I know people are already doing it, and there's, there's probably a lot of wisdom out there. But just to to unpack it, you know, particularly what it means for leaders, the tensions of being bivo or co- vocational um, balances, rhythms, uh, and certainly like to explore further the the, sh- the the necessity of having a shared leadership model uh, which is crucial um, okay so apest um, you, i i guess you you know over the years you know journey and you've got alongside teams individuals um, and you've maybe supported and um, folks trying to uh, get new things off the ground new missional initiatives when it comes to apest um, what what would what do you say when you i guess when you come across let's go through the gifts quickly if If you're, if you're meeting an apostolic church planter, what do they need to
2: be aware of? Um, Well, yeah, that's a great question. Well, I say, first off, uh, that they have, and again, this is personal experience is that you, you make sure that there is a, you, you, you have a shepherd in your ear. I mean, I'll give you an example. I've got a, a friend here in this area that planted a church 15 years ago. It was a kind of a network of micro churches, very, very apostolic, very, very prophetic and i i've heard from other people on the team that said that a few years in they almost had to have like an intervention to say dude you're killing us like you it's just go 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 for you because i think a little bit like me he didn't really have a shepherd bone in his body so it wasn't until you know some other some shepherds came alongside and just said look for the for the sake longevity of our church and the health of our church you've got to you've got to listen to these other voices so I think the, you know, the issue for for most uh, apostolic leaders is uh, they can just they can just run over people mm. uh, and and or run people ragged. So we've got to make sure that we're we're listening to other voices.
0: Yeah. So potential burnout.
2: Yes. In, in exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. What about P? You got a prophet. You know, Pat is uh, the one leading. You know the the initiative what, what, what's important for or what do they bring and, and perhaps what do they need to
2: think about well i think they see things that most of us don't see like i said earlier they see the gap between what is and what should be mm-hmm. which is amazingly helpful but i also think they can come off as overly critical i mean i know again I, it took it took time to learn this but i i have a couple of really close friends that are very prophetic and i think they just need to be right reminded sometimes that you know they can be critical. Uh, they they have to be careful with how they share their criticism. Maybe let me say it like that. Uh, they can be, because they can come off as being very stubborn or argumentative. Um, and I just, I think for most of them, just being aware of that is very helpful that they don't, so they don't come off as being arrogant or self-righteous, you know, disapproving of other people. Uh, and, and again, it just emphasizes these first two conversations we had just now about the A and the P, how we have to have each other. Because if, if we're just operating, you know, if the church is organized around and informed by just one of these gifts, you right off kind of see what what the problem would be. Yeah. And then the other thing that's helpful is just recognizing somebody that's very very prophetic. Um, because I know I know some shepherds that they are very uncomfortable with the prophetic people in their church. They you know they think well they're the ones that are always questioning what I'm doing. They're always critical of what I'm doing. They're almost like scared of that gift. But once they understand the benefit of the prophet's perspective then they can kind of embrace that and lean into it instead of being you know scared of it i guess yeah is there something to
0: say about the amp relationship because i mean they're both quite i guess quite powerful potentially impact um generative gifts did there is there anything to say about those two together anything unique well, in that relationship
2: yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sure, Mark. I mean, I, what other than what you just said, I think there is, you know, I mean, the reality is, and you already know this, but the A, P, and E are the more sending outward facing uh, gifts where the shepherd teacher the, are the more, you know, focused on the community. And we need them all. That one's not better than the other, but without a doubt, there is, a, you know, there there's a, uh, like a directional focus uh, the apes are more outward and the and the shepherd teacher are more inward i think yeah
0: yeah okay okay what sort of churches do evangelists tend to plant and what do they
2: need to be aware of uh i so again i've got a couple of friends that are are, are evangelists and sometimes this is a generalization but sometimes don't, be, don't mention any names here <laughs> they can be poor listeners or they're like very Oof. selective listeners but then also and they don't mean to do this, I don't think, but they can really exaggerate. I mean, they have such a positive view of things, they can they can really exaggerate. I mean, like, I remember another organization I was a part of that was led by an evangelist for a while, uh, he, he like saw things in such a positive way down the road that he would say that we have like 40 of these, uh, you know, micro churches, let's say when really you start counting them as like, no, wait, we actually only have 15. Why are you saying there's 40? But in his mind, he was already seeing those other 25, you know? (laughs) So, so sometimes they can, they can overshare, they can be a little too enthusiastic. Um, but again, we need them. They're recruiters. I mean, they're the they're the ones that are recruiting people to that cause and mm. and they're the they're the wooers. you know, mm. they're the ones that can really bring people along mm. um, and, and and think about what we've just now talked about, you know the the A and the p, they don't bring people along. You know, they either wear them out or they make them mad. So we need that you know we need that recruiter uh, yeah. that that's uh, that's the evangelist. interesting perspective, yeah.
0: All right. So um, what, what kind of churches do S's tend to plant if they're leading or and uh, what what is what do they need to be aware of? What, what, what do they need to equip them so that it doesn't have like some kind of disbalance? Yeah,
2: that's a great. Well, and I think we you know, this one's easy to describe. It's the one that can become very uh, communal, very they can become insular. They could become very inward focused. Uh, now, I think the actual shepherd has to be careful sometimes because they're very sensitive to the feelings of other people. I think they have to be careful that they don't take those feelings on. Uh, you know, they're all the, the shepherds are probably more concerned than anyone about uh, offending someone else or hurting someone's feelings. So they're and a lot of times I think they'll overextend themselves because they want to try to please everybody so I just think that's some of the like immaturity of a shepherd is they mm-hmm. just have to be really mindful that they're not taking the pain and hurt of other people because they care so deeply for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the, the flip side of what we said, if you're apostolic, you better listen to a shepherd. I'll tell church planters, look, if your primary gift is shepherd, you better have an apostolic prophetic person on your team or you'll never start anything. I mean, like you'll be the one that'll say, oh, well, we'll plant a church, you know, when we have this much money in the bank or we'll plant a church when we get to this many people or, and in most cases, they'll never plant a church. They'll never start something else because they just want to care for the flock that they have and kind of protect uh, and provide for that community rather than sending people off and starting something new. So I think they have to be really careful not to be too inward focused.
0: Mm. That's helpful. I'm wondering now about teacher. I mean, I know most of us are familiar with environments where they've been led by maybe the teacher shepherd paradigm um you know straight to the platform potentially preaching uh teaching events um I, i'm just wondering in terms when it when it comes to church planting have you encountered any teachers who, who perhaps led that kind of journey and, and what, what do they what does that tend to emerge into and what do they need to be aware of
2: yeah i think one thing i see with teachers and and, and a lot of times this coincides with the shepherd as well but they want to move to the gathering as quickly as possible. I mean, think if if you really are a teacher, you, you want to have a group of people to teach, right? So, so they'll move very, as a church planter, they will often move too quickly to that Sunday gathering because they want to gather those people together so they can teach. Now, I think individually, I think we have to just, I think most teachers have to be careful not to place too much emphasis on information and accuracy over relationship. And I think that happens sometimes. Like you said, it's almost, I know some very high T's that they'll preach. And when they're done preaching, they like sneak out the back door. You know, it's (laughs) like, they're not going to walk down into the congregation and talk with people uh, because, you know, their emphasis is more on information and synthesizing that information and getting it right and accurate rather than it is on on uh, the relationship with people. So again, I think when we hear like, and there's all kinds of pluses of course, but when we when we start to hear a little bit of the, kind of like the immaturities or the dark side of these gifts, for me, it emphasizes the necessity to have the voice of the other gifts on, on that team.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I mean, I, I, there's so much more we could talk about around this. Um, and I do think it's really helpful actually to talk about the shadow, uh, the dark side. Um, and and to have an awareness uh i, I hope that when people listen to this there's a, there's a kind of growing sense that we need synergy we need we need to equip one another we need to recognize when voices are being marginalized and and also right to the very beginning about um our own sense of well-being the significance of that uh, and journeying with others and and the, the benefits and the and the beauty that comes with with uh, perhaps not toppling down the solo hero model, but certainly daring to uh, to go another way or to try another way of leading. Um, certainly, that's what our, this moment, I think, culturally missionally, is calling out for. We'd love to come back and talk about the co-vocational stuff another time, because um, I think there's so much more to explore there. But yeah, I have one you. final question, uh, and then we better can see the time ticking away. Um, we, we're at a crucial moment. It feels that way anyway, a crucial moment in history, a big sense of upheaval on so many levels. You know, our realities have been shaken, not least by a pandemic, um, by some, uh, you know, justice issues, both in your part of the world, but also across across the world that are really kind of shaking the foundations of um, how we understand not only to be church, but also the people of God in this time, in, in this age. Um, it's a strange time, I think it's fair to say. It, w- this podcast is really geared towards people who are perhaps l- leaning towards the emergence of new new initiatives on the frontiers of mission and the future church what would you like to say to to that generation of perhaps new pioneers who are going into these new landscapes uh to bring them i don't know wisdom encouragement anything off, off your heart
2: yeah no i love that uh the first thing i think i would say is try to th- try to think about kingdom more than church. So it's not to minimize church, but start with kingdom. And then, you know, just, it was the primary message of Jesus, right? It was the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And ask yourself, okay, well, what's the relationship between kingdom and church? And I would argue that the church is actually an, an instrument created by God to be sent in to what he's already doing. So we're participating in his redemptive purposes. And I think what kingdom does too, is we realize when we really start to focus on kingdom, We realize that as our individual church, we can't do everything that needs to be done in a city. So it forces us to collaborate with others. Uh, So that's one thing. And then the second thing I would say is somewhat a little bit related, but to think, always start with mission rather than church. So, you know, I love a little phrase. I mentioned Permanent Revolution by Alan Hirsch and and Tim Ketchum. This little phrase comes from that book, and, and I use it all the time. Alan said, mission is the mother of adaptive ecclesiology. Now, that sounds pretty pretty geeky, so let me say it again. Mission is the mother of adaptive ecclesiology. So the way I'll say that is I'll say, in other words, when we start with mission, there ought to be lots of wild and wonderful expressions of church. So when we start with uh, engaging God's redemptive mission, then and then let the church be birthed out of our missional engagement, then there's going to be lots of different expressions of church, right? But unfortunately, most of the time we start with church. So every church looks like every other church. So, but we need to start with mission. So identify where is God already at work, engage in that mission, and then let the church be birthed out of our missional engagement. If if that's bivocational, co-vocational, starting a, a business, starting a nonprofit, whatever it is in your context, focus on what is God doing in your context, start with his mission, and then let the church be birthed out of that.
0: That's so good. That's great. Great way to end Um, Brad, love to hang out with you a bit more in the future because I think so many conversations are sparking stuff within me and I'm sure people listening as well. Um, Thank you so much for joining us on the the podcast. Thank you, Mark. Bless you. Take care.
1: back uh, thanks Mark for that that was a very good interview you're um, welcome <laughs> really really actually enjoyed listening to it and actually what we have done and you'll have seen if you follow us on Facebook but Mark's just put out a four minute video clip which is something we're going to be doing but I decided to watch this whole interview instead of listening to it Yeah. with you and Brad it really helped me I think I'm a visual learner and listener yeah. um,
0: but we did actually we had a planning meeting some time ago and we actually raised the question should we put out these podcasts that's visually?
1: visually that's right actually we did do that and did we come to an answer
0: uh no because we, we we wanted a social media person oh to yeah help
1: us. yeah that's one of the roles of the social media role mm-hmm. that we're advertising yeah manage the youtube channel as well yeah um anyway before we get into some questions mm-hmm. um I'll throw out the standard question that we always ask to you. Uh, what was that interview like to be in the midst of and in that conversation?
0: I don't know if people find these questions interesting. <laughs> but right. it is a real honour to, to to be able to do this and to sit with people who, are, who, who really have a heart for Kingdom stuff. Brad was really nice to be with and he yeah. just felt that you could keep the conversation going.
1: Um, yeah. So actually, in the video that I was watching of it as well, I noticed like your face was <laughs> excited by like some of the answers he was giving. Could see that you were really into it. Maybe it is a good thing to release the videos. But um, yeah.
0: yeah, there's a lot of people who've never seen my face who listen to this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's interesting, isn't it? Interesting
1: thought. Yeah. We're uh, we gonna she do it <laughs> 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 It's interesting. <laughs> let's keep going let's keep going alright uh, <coughs> alright let's uh, get back on track yeah. we've decided to um, come back this we've decided to move it around we've usually kind of shared our reflections and then put questions out realised that that's probably unhelpful to those of you that are listening and hearing all of our thoughts before formulating your own reflections so we're going to put out two questions uh, and then uh Play some music for 30 seconds while you can uh, just have a thought of your own and then we'll be back and chat about them so the two questions that we're putting out today are these number one has this episode brought up anything that needs to change at the core of your community's cultural dna wordy questions so i'll say it again has this episode brought up anything that needs to change At the core of your community's cultural DNA. And number two. What feelings surfaced for you during this interview? So reflect on those questions while we play this music and we'll be back shortly. I hope you enjoyed that forced time of rest with that peaceful music and that you were able to gather some thoughts around those questions. Um, I'm going to throw it out to you, Mark. Um, The first question, what does this tell you about your community's cultural DNA? Is there anything that needs to change? Yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of familiar stuff, wasn't there, for us anyway, with the APEST. but it was just another reminder to... Recognize that all voices need to be heard, and what are the habits? Because culture is habits and practices essentially. What happens day to day? How are we reflecting uh, and honoring all those voices? I think is the first thing. Mm. But in terms, I think the big major thing, of course, was uh, I think Brad said that he he, that the bivocational co-vocational conversation. Uh, or idea or concept is he said it's the single best missiological and I can't remember what how he finished the sentence missiological idea or I think it wasn't idea but it was something uh, mm. you should remember that phrase yeah here? he was really really adamant that that is such an important component to the future of the church or yeah uh, to to how we look forward on a number of levels like you know, one the benefits you know. Missionally, financially, all these kind of things. Hmm. In terms of the DNA, uh, I think it's so challenging to hear that because we've reflected a lot about that journey, and when we're thinking about how we're going to see movement, you know, you just can't see it being possible without, you know, that that uh, those kind of uh, opportunities for people. you know we come from an institution where in the inherited model is that you know couples often leading churches together paid mm-hmm. uh full-time salaries but that's our that's been our, our story um and we kind of are feeling a big tension around that because one we just don't think it's got a long-term future mm-hmm. but two we've got been blessed to be able to you know certainly me anyway you know to have a full-time ministry quite secure Yeah, Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm not sure I believe in it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's about our community's culture, but certainly about our leadership. I wouldn't say that's just isolated to me. I think. Yeah. We share that. So I don't know where I go with that, but and I I think we need to go somewhere. We can't just live with the tension and and just enjoy the benefits of having a full time salary whilst believing that it's not the future. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, so I think like that would be where the massive uncomfortable challenge.
1: Yeah.
0: Would be for me. Uh, yeah, and I'm in this new role. I've got this new role, which is um, supporting pioneering across Sweden. Yeah. Uh, sporting leaders, sporting initiatives. I'm convinced this is one of the only, potentially the only way we're going to see movement on the scale that all of us long for. Hmm. So that that I need for my integrity as well. You know, those kind of questions are raised to the surface.
1: Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I really, really agree with you, and feel the same kind of tension and conflict. And uh, just a short story: we had um, one of our uh, gatherings with our leaders in our local context. Uh, in our mic micro church system, uh, and uh, I was walking with one of the other leaders the other day, and she asked me, "Are you servant-hearted, or are you servant-minded, or something?" And it was just such a piercing question because I was—I mean, in some way, I felt like saying, "Yeah." I mean, I'm a church leader and all those kind of things, but at the same time, I was walking alongside someone who she, was. She wasn't just asking these questions. They we gave everyone a set of questions to yeah inter- interview yeah one another yeah. But she she chose that really piercing one and I, was, I just kind of like became painfully aware that I was walking alongside someone who was serving the church and leading a micro church together with others in her like by vocation like alongside her job and I was standing there answering a question about if I'm servant minded but I was kind of there on like a, in, in a paid capacity as a, as a church leader who's employed and all that kind of stuff and I was just thinking what does this mean like I mean I don't think they have to be I think both things can be true um, I think you can be servant minded and a church leader in fact I, th- I, said, I made a joke there I said I'm not doing this job for the money that's for sure um, but uh, but I had this real tension in me around that question um, and and I mean it's really really relevant to this uh, episode mm-hmm. um, in terms of the second question that we put out there what feeling surfaced I um I felt um, a bit almost of a healing of some kind of like wound or shame when Brad was talking because when when we were talking about a, or when he was talking about apest again um, for those of you that don't know my apest profile is teacher shepherds which um, in terms of like the missional church conversation that's growing and picking up traction everywhere at the moment like the teacher shepherd model is often kind of like Highlighted as the, the 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 downfall of the of the church and the building of the institution, um, and so I've always kind of like been a bit careful to tread and had the questions: Oh, should I be in this space with these kind of conversations, or, or uh, like almost almost like whenever anyone says anything, teacher Shepherd, I'm almost like apologising on behalf of us all and for the last like 400 years or whatever. Um, so um, but I I just found it really helpful and I I, I know this but I found it really helpful that Brad named it um, and said the conversation that's going on isn't to diminish those giftings or what they bring um, but in fact it is to find spaces to elevate the other three so Mm. that they can come to full maturity together Mm. Um, and I think I I know that in my heart but I think my, my head needed to hear it anyway during this interview so I had some kind of healing within that actually and almost an invitation back into the space of, of these conversations mm. yeah so that uh, came up for me
0: mm, that's really good did you recognize any of the when he was talking about the shadow side of the yeah. apest we, we asked yeah. a question about you know what yeah, if you're playing a church what's you know yeah. like a, a teacher yeah. you know what 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 do they tend to not always but what yeah. might they lean towards when they're Perhaps leading a church planting team or or starting an initiative. Yeah, Uh, we asked it around all the Apes.
1: Yeah, I did. I did. I noticed that, and I think it's been part of a journey that's been going on the last few years since we've started this um, Ephesians four journey in our leadership, and also like just as as me as a disciple, like what does that mean? And I was actually teaching at a church on uh, just this weekend, and I was talking about the teaching role. And I said, for any teachers that are prepared to go on a teaching role to kind of like rediscover or redefine what a teacher is, there's an element of like, um, humility, almost of dying to self or dying to ego, dying for that, um, spotlight or the stage or not, not necessarily out of being an attention seeker, but out of wanting to teach. Cause that's, I mean, that's what excites me to teach, to give information, to try and grow wisdom and stuff like that. And, and, uh, I mean, the journey that we've been on anyway, both with the apest and the microchurch journey, is to almost become somewhat invisible as a teacher in order to raise and release others. It's kind of like the hero-making thing we've, been, we've spoken about with Dave Ferguson here before. Um, to, And I think that's the phrase he uses, actually, to die to yourself in order to raise, lift, and mm. grow others. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly recognise that shadow uh, side that Brad was talking about. Mm, yeah. What about you? Before we bring it to a close, the the, the shadow side of the Apostle, he was talking about, make sure you've got a shepherd with you. Yeah,
0: definitely. Mm. What I just was reflecting on or reminded, maybe this isn't about my feelings, but emotionally being present to the fact that you need all, you need to be equipped by other APES functions. So Mm. an A needs to be equipped, Mm. you know, by those other voices, not putting the brakes on, but more, you know recognizing that, uh, you know, that, that we, we do things together mm-hmm. mutually, we share, you know, we, 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 we share leadership together and we bring beautiful things that none of us have, yeah. Um, well, it, it, you know, it's that the word that he uses synergy or synagogy is the, the, the term mm-hmm. in the in the that's often in the New Testament, which is co. The idea yeah. that we do things together and that makes things better hmm. uh, I think that idea of being equipped by others is 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 once again just humbling ourselves to that place but also welcoming it um, yeah I, I don't know what else to say I, I definitely recognise the shadow side of the A for sure yeah,
1: yeah. well good good reflections uh, I think we'll bring it to a close now um so is there any one thing from this episode or quote or something that's come up inside you that you'd like to leave the listeners with today?
0: Right, I think firstly, what we will say is that we're going to come, we're going to meet Brad again, because we want to talk to him and drill a bit deeper with around the co-vocational bivocational yep. stuff, because we think it's really, really important. And he talked about highlighting the benefits. We want to hear more about the benefits mm-hmm. uh, and championing the stories. We, we need to hear stories. And, uh, and he talked about expanding the language. I'd like to hear what he meant by that and why that's uh, an entry point in t- into to furthering that. But in terms of a quote, here we go. Yeah, go on. Go uh, on. This is the one that you liked, and it's uh, from Alan Hirsch, who hopefully listeners will be familiar with. Mm. Uh, and Brad quoted him he said, Mission is the mother of adaptive ecclesiology. ecclesiology. Mm. And I'm not going to explain that, I'm just going to mm. let it rest there
1: great well uh we'll see you for episode three uh blessings over you and your work and your vocations whether that's in church ministry or whatever it may be um but uh yeah may the spirit go with you and bless you in all you do we'll see you next time